The reading this morning is taken from Luke, chapter 3, John the Baptist prepares the way. In the fifteenth year of the reign of Tiberius Caesar, when Pontius Pilate was governor of Judea, Herod, tetrarch of Galilee, his brother Philip, tetrarch of Iturea and Trachonitis, and Lysanias, tetrarch of Abilene, during the high priesthood of Annas and Caiaphas, the word of God came to John, son of Zechariah, in the desert. He went into all the country around the Jordan, preaching a baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sins. As it is written in the book of the words of Isaiah the prophet, a voice of one calling in the desert, prepare the way for the Lord, make straight paths for him. Every valley shall be filled in, every mountain and hill made low. The crooked road shall become straight, and the rough pathways smooth, and all mankind will see God's salvation. This is the word of the Lord. we pray. Father, we do thank you for your word and that you still speak through it today, right into our situation. And we pray, Lord, that you will speak this morning and that we'll have hearts to hear and to respond. In Jesus' name, amen. We're going to look first at the message that John the Baptist brought in preparation for the first coming of Jesus, and then we'll look briefly at the preparation for his second coming. Have you noticed how preparations for Christmas can be very confusing for children? They hear about the baby in the manger and Santa Claus coming down the chimney. They see pictures on television of the sleigh and the reindeer going across the moon. Have you seen some of those? They all seem to show going, the silhouette going across the moon. And the angels in the sky bringing the message to the shepherds. And children must get a bit muddled up. What's true and what isn't? And we realized this a few years ago when one of our young grandsons wanted to say grace. We were all sitting around the table and eyes closed and he started off... Dear Father Christmas, and then suddenly, rest, oh no, no, that's wrong. And this is confusing, isn't it, for children? So easy to muddle up all the trappings with the reason that we're really preparing for Christmas, and that's that it's to celebrate the most amazing event in world history when God came down to earth in his Son to save mankind. That's what it's really all about. That's the truth of Christmas. In ancient times, when a king was going to come somewhere, forerunners, specially chosen for the task, ran ahead to announce his coming and to prepare the people to meet their king. So what an honor to be chosen to prepare the way for the king of kings, God himself, Emmanuel. And this was John the Baptist's role, forerunner of Jesus foretold by the prophets hundreds of years before. 
He could have chosen the priesthood because he came in the priestly line. But he saw Jesus as the reality everything else in all history had been leading up to. And his one desire in life was to reveal Jesus. So what was the message that he brought? (coughs) And we heard that in the reading that we've just had. It was that the Messiah, awaited by the Jewish people for hundreds of years, had finally arrived. He was here, and he was going to turn everything upside down, changing the whole order of things, bringing down the high and mighty, and lifting up the lowly. There's a lovely verse in 1 Samuel that's repeated in one of the Psalms, and it says, he lifts the needy from the ash heap to make them sit with nobles. Isn't that wonderful? He wants to be a leveler. He came to be a leveler. So the high and mighty were brought down, the needy were brought up. Those who had been made crooked by sin could be smoothed out. He was going to come to everyone, no matter who they were and what their circumstances. But first, there had to be repentance for sin. And this was his main emphasis. But we have to remember he preached to an audience who had a good grasp of Old Testament teaching. They didn't need new information about God and his purpose. They knew that God loved them. They knew he wanted to bless them. They knew he had plans for them. What they needed was a correct response to the information they already possessed. And that correct response was repentance. And in this regard, they're similar to many people who attend church on a regular basis. We already have the information about God. We know that he loves us. We know that he sent Jesus for us. But we too need to repent of our sins and put our trust in him. We sometimes get confused about the meaning of repentance. And we confuse it with remorse or regret. But it's totally different. Repentance means that we see we are sinners going the wrong way. If you remember in Isaiah 53, it compares us to sheep that have gone astray, going our own way. And we need to, under the influence of the Holy Spirit, change direction and choose to go God's way. And this may be dramatic with tears of sorrow for our sin or simply a wonderful relief that Jesus has paid the penalty for what we know we deserve. But it always involves a change of direction. Now, this may sound controversial, but I believe some Christians have never actually repented. They've heard the good news that Jesus is the way to the Father and he guarantees a place in heaven, and they've just added faith in him to their lives while still continuing in the same direction, still leading their own lives in their own way. And they wonder why Jesus doesn't seem real to them and why they don't have the joy that all Christians should have. It is possible to come to church, to read our Bibles, to pray, to believe that Jesus died for us and yet still have an unrepentant heart, still be running our own lives. I want just to give an example from my own life. 
I became a Christian when I was 12. And I was a naughty child, but I wouldn't have called myself a sinner. I mean, not at 12. What can you do when you're 12? But I became a Christian because I loved, I'd heard about Jesus and I loved him. And then I heard that he wanted to come and live in my life. And I was thrilled and I asked him in. But I still kept going in the same direction because nobody told me anything any different. And then years and years and years later, when I was married with three children, the Holy Spirit showed me the state of my own heart. And I can remember sobbing and sobbing and saying to God, it's not what I do that's all wrong, it's what I am inside. And I felt desperate. But you know, God doesn't want us to wallow in guilt. That's not what repentance is all about. He wants to shatter our self-centeredness so we can then grasp the enormity of his grace. This is something I read some time ago that I thought was absolutely beautiful. Know yourself to be wicked and God will wrap you in the mantle of his goodness. And this is where this grace course comes in. Once we've repented, once we've seen what we are inside and chosen to turn round, then we experience the grace of God. So every step towards God is one of thanksgiving, even the step of confession of sin. Now, we of a certain age in this church perhaps can't express it as the picture does, but I'm sure there are many here that feel that in their spirit, that joy. We've seen what we were like. We've seen the corruption of our own hearts, and we've seen that God still loves us, and we've turned around, and we've started to go his way, and that brings great joy. So repentance is not to make us feel bad about ourselves, but to make us feel good about God and his amazing grace. So that's the first thing we need to understand from the message of John the Baptist. Have we truly repented of our sin? Have we changed direction? Only the Holy Spirit can show us this. And if we're open, he will. And he'll show if there's anyone here who is like me, believing in Jesus, but still going our own way. And we need that total change of direction to say, I want your way, Lord, no matter what. I want to do your will. And when we do this, when we experience his grace, that enriches our preparation for Christmas. Because we begin to realize more and more what God's grace and mercy and love are all about. Why should he come to earth for me? Why should he love me? And that brings great joy. But Advent is not just about preparing for Christmas. Advent is also the time when we look to Jesus' return in glory as king and judge. And we've seen that John the Baptist was the forerunner for the first coming. Who's the forerunner for Jesus' second coming? Now, there are some people who have set themselves up or they feel called of God to be forerunners. They call themselves friends of the bridegroom. And they've set up houses of prayer. And I think this is mainly in America. Now, I can't tell if they're right or not. 
But I personally believe that we are all forerunners of his return. We're all meant to be preparing the way. Now, what qualifies us for that? John has special qualifications to be a forerunner. What qualifies us? Well, there's an amazing verse in Luke 7 where Jesus said, Among those born of women, there is no one greater than John the Baptist. Yet he who is least in the kingdom is greater than he. How can that be? How could we be greater than John the Baptist? But if you look at a a modern wedding, John the Baptist would be the best man, getting everything ready for the bridegroom. And who would we be? We are the bride, the bride of Christ. Isn't that an amazing thought? So how do we prepare for his return? We see a whole passage in 1 Peter 4, which talks about Jesus coming back and the things that we should do to be ready. And the first thing is to keep love for him burning in our hearts, to spend time in his presence, to seek his face, to delight in him, to bask in his love. That all prepares us as the bride for the bridegroom coming back. We also prepare by helping one another to be ready. And one of the ways is to love one another. If you remember in the early church, non-Christians looked at the Christians and said, see how they love one another. That should be a hallmark of us as God's people. People outside should see the love that's in our lives because we've been forgiven. That's why we have such love for Jesus and for one another. And it says in the Bible that love covers a multitude of sins. And we should never, ever criticize another Christian. If there's something wrong, we go and talk to them. Never pull down someone who is the apple of God's eye, which we all are. Let's love one another. Cover any any sins, any failings with love. And let's encourage one another. I quite like that that picture of encouragement. I know it's cats and not people. But you see the arm round, encouraging each other as we wait for Jesus' return. Let's determine to encourage, because the devil is a great discourager. Let's build one another up. Let's serve one another using the gifts that God's given us. Let's build ourselves together to be a beautiful bride for Jesus. No spots, no blemishes, just full of love and expectancy as we wait for him. The other thing we should be doing in preparation is reaching out to unbelievers, pointing them to Jesus. Are we, like John the Baptist, preparing hearts to receive him? Now, unlike those of us who are regular churchgoers, most people outside don't know that God loves them and that he longs to have a relationship with them. I mean, I've found when I've talked with people, they're quite surprised by that. God loves me. And that's where we start when we're talking with people outside. And many have obstacles in their lives that have to be removed before they can get to know Jesus. Those who've been perhaps abused as children can't accept God as a loving father. There are all sorts of obstacles and they need to be removed. So we reach out in love 
and we build a highway, as John the Baptist did, for people to come to know Jesus, removing the stones. And there are many ways we can do that, but the main thing is to befriend people and to love them and to accept them no matter what. I read a quote some time ago by someone who'd been befriended by a Christian. And she said, you built a bridge into my life and Jesus walked across it. Isn't that wonderful? Our part's to build the bridges, to get rid of the obstacles through love, and then Jesus can enter into others' lives. And as we do this, then they too will be ready for when he returns. John the Baptist was the forerunner of Jesus' first coming. Let us determine to be forerunners of his second coming, preparing the way for the King of glory to once more enter our world, to establish his kingdom, and to make all things new. I just want to close by reading the verse of a very, very old hymn. Some of you may know it, and it's meant a lot to me. I just want to go through these words. When by the gift of his infinite grace, I am accorded in heaven a place just to be there and to look on his face will through the ages be glory for me. Oh, that will be glory for me. Glory for me. Glory for me. When by his grace, I shall look on his face. That will be glory, be glory for me. Come, Lord Jesus. Amen.